Great to be back. Uh, you know, I, I said this before, renewal, um, there, there needs to be about a thousand more churches like your church, um, especially here in the Bay Area. And so uh, it's an honor to come and preach here. And um, so let's get into it. Um, this is a little bit of an odd, I always feel it's a little odd. I talked to uh, Pastor Ulysses about this, and he says, what have you preached lately? And I kind of rolled through some of my sermons, and he said, let's do that one. And um, so if this seems a little strange, it's, it, it's, you can blame it on him. He picked this sermon, okay? And um, this is actually the tail end. This was uh, part four, the last sermon of a series that we did called Servants. And, um, and we culminated in this passage, Philippians chapter 2, 1 through 11, which is really one of the most profound things ever said, ever, anywhere about servanthood. And I hope it'll bless you, okay? Let's get into today's text. I guess I, I'm, I'm supposed to do this, huh? <laughs> Here we go. Maybe I better do it this way. Philippians 2, verses 1 through 11, this is the word of God. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy... Complete my joy by being at the, of the same mind, having the same love, being in the full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Um, Let's pray. I need to get my water. (laughs) Let me quickly grab my water here. Go to another church, and you're not quite, I'm not used to my element here. Um, Let's pray. Lord, we're really broken people, and we're enslaved to our world, and often the world and its values, which isn't really from the world, see, actually from a much darker and worse place, it's from hell itself. We're often filled with the values of hell itself. And I pray that I would preach out of your word today, and you would help us to unfurl these things, and you would bring something more of heaven into our hearts, and into our city. In Jesus' name, amen. The theme verse um, that I preached on in this series, well, actually, before we get to that, let's just, let's just do what I normally do. Part one, the values of the kingdom of hell. 
So obviously, right away, this thing gets kind of heavy, okay? That's what I'm going to say we're living in. (laughs) We live in the world, but it's actually worse than the world. We live in the valleys of the kingdom of hell. Part two, the eternal heavenly standard of greatness. I want to give you a standard today, a standard which is actually from heaven, okay? And part three, making you heavenly like Jesus. That's the way we'll get to the gospel, okay? I'm going to take you to a verse, which was really our theme verse for this series. And a lot of times people don't take this verse and these verses and Philippians chapter 2, but really they're saying the same thing. And I want to put this into your mind as you, you think about. I'm going to put this into the back of your mind, and we'll return to it toward the latter portion of the, service, um, the sermon. But this is, uh, this is the passage, okay? Most of you are probably familiar that if you grew up in the church, and even if you did not grow up in the church, you probably heard something like this before. Okay, this is Mark 10, 42. And Jesus called them to him, that's them is to his disciples, and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles, the Gentiles, you, you tend to think of it as a meaning those who are not Jewish. But from their point of view, you know what the Gentiles means? Everybody else, all the nations. Actually, it literally means the nations. So let me say it again. You know that those who are considered rulers of the nations lorded over them and their great ones, those who they think are so great, Great, I'll put that in quotes. Exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. And here was the theme verse for our series. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And I don't know if it'll have quite the same effect. I you know, repeated this verse again and again four times as I did a four-part series, but let's give it a shot. We'll put this into your mind, and we'll let the Holy Spirit let it roam around back there. And uh, as you think through uh, Philippians chapter 2, okay? Let's go to part one. The values of the kingdom of hell, and let's get right into today's text. If there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, let's just start right there. You come to this church, I don't know if you're a regular here or if this is your first time or whether you even consider yourself a believer in Jesus. If you come into this place, I don't know what your perception of your church is like. Maybe some of you go, well... I don't know if it's very friendly. I only like about two people here, something like that. How much, according to this passage, do you need to even consider what is going to be said next? If there's any encouragement, not if there's a lot of encouragement, is there a a lot of participation in the Spirit? If there's a lot of affection and sympathy, no, just any. So imagine if there's a, you go to a church, And you see, and this is kind of like a lot of churches. I'm not sure what kind of church you grew up in, but there's a lot of young people today who don't like church. And they don't like some experience that they had of church. Now, maybe if you grew up in a church, 
that was truly bad, <laughs> and I would say what makes it truly bad is they don't preach the gospel, um, they don't teach you the Bible, and thus you don't have a, a sense of the presence of the Holy Spirit. Um, but your average church, they at least sometimes teach the gospel, and the Holy Spirit does come into the room in people's hearts, and there's some, any participation in spirit, affection, and sympathy. If that is the case, please respect that. God is trying to break into people who are living according to the values, not of heaven, but of hell, and often it looks broken. The church is a weak and broken vessel, but nonetheless a tremendously needed one, okay? So that's how it starts. If any of any participation, what are we called to do? Verse two. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. That's a whole sermon itself. I won't get into that. And here's where we get to verse three. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others and have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Let's, let's stop there. Um, have you ever read this? Have you ever heard this? Have you ever thought about this? This is actually a tremendously, the portion when we get a little lower is one of the most famous places in the Bible. It talks about how Christ made himself a servant, and then thus his name is exalted above every name. But for some reason, people rarely reflect on this, this, uh, this portion. And if you think about this passage, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. In humility, you should think about others as more significant than yourself. If you have any sympathy, any affection, any participation in the spirit, this is the movement where we should go. But um, if you live here in Silicon Valley, and I presume many of you do, um, is this the way we operate? Is this the way we operate? I'm not even talking about the non-Christians. I'm even just talking about the Christians, which there aren't, of course, a lot of here in Silicon Valley. But even the Christians here in Silicon Valley, we, we don't operate like this. Um, this is the way maybe uh, the, the values of our city is. Do everything for yourself, whatever your ambition is for yourself, to get your career you know, advanced, to go find the boyfriend of your dreams or the girlfriend of your dreams. Um, you know, do everything from your conceit. Now, conceit, you're like, oh, isn't that bad? Well, in one level, conceit is just how you think about yourself. Some of you, and I hope there aren't too many of you, when you think about yourself, um, you might hate yourself. I hope there isn't anybody in this room, but in a room this size or even through you know, your live stream right now, I bet you there's some of you who when you think about yourself, it isn't of a high opinion. So we wouldn't usually call that word conceit, we would usually call that something like depression or self-hatred. But a lot of us, if, even if you have that, and maybe you only have that sometimes or very infrequently, um, a lot of the times what you do is you think about yourself in a good way, right? You know what that is? That's conceit. 
Now, maybe the good way is real, and I wouldn't call that conceit, that would just be being honest. But often, most of us are imbalanced of how we think about ourselves in a good way, and we only want to hear that. So do everything from selfish ambition, or the word we use today is not so much conceit, it's usually self-esteem. See, isn't that the same thing? It's just the same thing. Do everything from selfish ambition or self-esteem. In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. And what I would say, my general observation about who we are as uh, people who live in this time um, is that the average person that I meet, including inside the church, I don't even think they would even know what real humility is. All right. I'll, I'll, I'll just tell you, humility is not thinking less about yourself. It's not, okay, I hate myself. I'm a really bad person. That's not humility. That's depression. <laughs> humility is not thinking about yourself. It's forgetting about yourself. But the inside of us is so kind of puffed up and wounded that we're always worried about how somebody else thinks about ourselves and then you're thinking about yourself and how others people think about you. Am I, this, am I weird or like, am I not, are you not uh, relating to what I'm saying? You probably can relate to what I'm saying, right? And all of life is dealing with this. But humility is to be able to, it's actually a blessed forgetfulness. The gospel says that there's a good news that someone has filled you up. Someone has washed away what's wrong with you. Someone is forgiven and can actually, doesn't overlook, but can forgive you of what's messed up about you. And yourself is actually, it's not just the word we use today, safety. You're, you're, it's safe. It's not safe around that people. It's better than safe. You're eternally secure. That's what we're offering out here through church and through the gospel. But we don't know how to do any of this stuff. Why? Because we live in the valleys of the kingdom of hell. And we actually justify, we justify this. If you aren't this way, actually, so if what we have going on today is if you point out somebody is selfish or entitled, which just about everybody is, um, today you could be canceled. <laughs> the colleges today, if somebody goes out and makes a criticism of certain kinds of ideologies, of something that's wrong with young people today, people get, the word they is, is triggered, triggered. And what that is is an immediate rebellion and hatred against, against this. It's actually in every way trying to make sure the inner, what's bad about us never gets touched. That's what we're living in today. It is a really bad place, okay? Now, let me go to verse six. It actually gets, okay, pastor, you're really depressing here. <laughs> is this uh, real, what I'm saying? I hope it's real, what I'm saying. You know, I want you to see what's in the Bible, and then you should apply it to who you are and who we are, and then when we see that there's something really lacking there, before you get too angry, because if, if, you know, if you've never been to church before, one of the things I want to say to you is just please be patient. We're going to say better things, okay? But let me say something that's um, most people today, if you grew up, if you did not grow up in the church, you never think about this. There's another commentary about the human condition, verse 6. 
who, though he, that is Jesus, was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. So what is this going on here? What is going on here is this is a commentary from the Apostle Paul in the letter to the Philippian church on Genesis chapter 3. Now, if you've never, you know, if you never, what, what is in Genesis chapter 3? It's the beginning of the Bible. Genesis chapter 1 and 2 is this. God made this, 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 that. It was good, 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 good. It's very good. Everything's great. Then he invents marriage, male and female. It's beautiful. And then you get to chapter 3, and then we get to the story called the fall. The devil comes and tempts Adam and Eve. And this is the commentary. He was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. What was Adam and Eve doing when they reached for a forbidden fruit? They said, well, we don't really want, this is the one thing God said, don't do. And in some sense, it's, it's an arbitrary command. Don't eat this fruit. It's like, I don't think there was anything like, special about this particular fruit. You know what's important about that fruit? We don't even know, by the way, everybody thinks it's an apple. And we have you know, a very famous company like here in our town you know, called Apple. And you notice there's a bite out of that apple. You know what that is? It's a celebration of sin. <laughs> That's really what it is. And do you know that apple is the, is the is, I, I think it is, I think this is still true, is the, is the most valuable company in the whole world? See, don't you think we live in the valleys of the kingdom of hell? Our most famous, I, I mean, I, I, I have that phone too, <laughs> right? Because it's a great phone. Um, it's a celebration of actually sin. But what was going when you took a bite out of, it wasn't necessarily an apple, it might have been, a, this might be strange, it might have been a banana. <laughs> okay, it might have been a banana. I mean, maybe the next famous company will be called Banana and there'll be a bite out of the banana, who knows, okay? All right, but um, it might have been a banana. <laughs> but what was important is that God said, don't do this. And you know what that principle is saying? Be human because I'm God. <laughs> and if you will stay human under me, you will be blessed. But if you will try to erase me and say, you could do whatever you want to do, you will be cursed. That's what this passage is saying. And... Where I want to teach you is out of this, and I will get to this a little bit more in, this, in the second part of this message, is that it shows up in a painful way the curse of the fact that we grasp after equality with God. If you didn't grow up in the church today, or maybe you did grow up in the church, you're going, I don't try to be like God. What are you talking about? <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> in your life, you always want to be the one who calls the shots in your own life. You always want to have to set the rules in your own life. Who gets to set the rules of your life? Who gets to set the standards of your life? You probably are the one who wants, especially in, in our culture, it's actually the religion of our time. <laughs> Secular narcissism is actually the real religion of our time. <laughs> Which is why anybody who critiques secular narcissism, I mean, if you, today, let's just use, um, let's use, let's use the trans agenda. The trans agenda is a religious, theological agenda. Do you know that you're being taught religion through your companies, through your schools, through your universities, all that stuff, you know? 
uh, and in this month apparently is called Pride Month, and we're supposed to take pride in that, you're supposed to celebrate those values. But what it's saying is, I have utter lordship, I can create who I am, I can even decide if I'm male or female, it is grasping after equality with God, that's what it is. And there's another way that we are like this, which is that in your life, your king and lord, when I was younger, nobody thought you could be creator of your own life. (laughs) But today, actually people think that, which is wild to me, which is, I guess I'm so old that it seems absolutely bonkers. But some of you are younger, you've been taught this religion, it's like you've been churched, churched in secular religion your whole life, so it seems fine. And there's a lot of young people today who are marching to that religion, and even our jobs are in danger. Your jobs are in danger, right? That's what we're living in today. And this is a value. It's not just from the world. It's coming from a much darker place than that. And let me just say, the acid test of this is, let's go back, actually. The acid test of this is, how do you live? Do you live always according to this, selfish ambitions, conceit, and you can't count others more significant than yourselves? It's how do you think about other people? Can you serve other people? We pay a tremendous price. We truly are cursed. Our culture, our city, we are living according to the values of hell, and you're cursed in lots of different ways. So let me just try to just put it a couple, um, try to make it come like, I, I'm talking about big, big, big matters, but let me make it practical. Um, so let's talk about, can you count others more significant yourselves in your friendships? Do you have a lot of good friends? I'm willing to bet most of you don't have a lot of good friends. This is a lonely city. It's lonely for reason, for because we live in the valleys of the kingdom of hell. And today, friends, most the average person in Silicon Valley, what I've noticed is, you know what a friend is? It's supposed to be someone that you consider even more important than yourself so that when they have need, you go there for them. A friend is someone you serve. But actually, you know what we do? You know what we want as a friend? A friend is someone that makes me feel better. Isn't it? Isn't that how we think? We go into a room, you look around, who do I like? You just eliminate 95% of the room. Why? Because they're not interesting to you. Because they can't serve you. They can't brush up against your self-esteem or your conceits. So that even what we call friends, even our vocabulary is so utterly corrupted by the values of the kingdom of hell that actually, because what is a real friend is one who serves. But we can't do that. So we call a friend as someone that I use. And then we wonder why we're lonely. <laughs> Let me give you a tip. This is from God's word. You want to have more friends? Why don't you be a real friend and serve your friend? <laughs> have a commitment to love your friend by serving your friend, including and especially 
when it's hard for you to do that, when it requires sacrifice for you to do that. That's serving your friend. That's living like this. But if we don't live like this, we can't even have friends. Um, I need to get to part two, but let me just say this. Think about if you want to find a girlfriend or if you want to find a spouse. A lot of young people today are so much more anxious. You're so anxious. People are so worried. Can you, I, okay, let me be a little, little bit nicer about this. Why don't you just ask somebody out to have coffee? <laughs> and when you ask someone to have coffee, try to worry less about what they think about you. <laughs> And the coffee is to serve her. And if she decides she doesn't want to be with you because, guess what? She gets to decide that. <laughs> it's okay. Then, and it hurts to be rejected that way, all right? It's your next. But then, here we go. Now you get a chance to practice this. In humility, count others more significant than yourself. Someone you possibly want to date. And then... In humility, count her, it's like, well, she didn't like me. It's because she's bad. She's so bad, <laughs> right? But maybe instead of having anxiety about that, why don't we take a chance and serve her? So isn't it interesting? Church is actually useful to learn how to date. Did you know that? And then even better, how about marriage? You know why our marriages are bad? Same thing. We can't serve. You know what a good husband or a good wife is like? I promise to serve you till death do us part. <laughs> Today, you look gorgeous. That's why I'm going to say I do. Okay? But in 10 years, you will have cancer and no hair. <laughs> but I promise to serve you on that day. That's marriage. Or in five years, you're just extremely annoying because you always assume, you always want to do things the way your family did it, and I don't like the way your family did it, so we're going to fight on that day. <laughs> and, but I will serve you by giving in on that day. I will serve you. Marriage isn't about feeling it. Oh, I feel it. I sure feel it. I feel love for you. Actually, good marriage is serving you when I don't feel it. <laughs> Because it's this, count others more significant, count your wife more significant than you. But instead, we're grasping after equality with God because inside this marriage, don't you see, I'm like the God of my life and you're not serving me. <laughs> and so all kinds of things just break down. This is how we live. Let's go to part two. Let's go to something better. The eternal heavenly standard of greatness. I want to take something from heaven and put it into your mind today, and the standard isn't going to free you, but at least gives you a piece of wisdom. Most of us are so foolish because we're living in the darkness of the enslavement of the world, which is another way of saying the enslavements of hell, right? But I want to take you to something so profound, which is in this passage. Okay, so here's how the words go. And look at this again. Who, though he, this is Jesus, was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, 
and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So, you see these, these little passages here? Form, form of God, form of a servant in human form. Um, I highlighted those because I want you to see that that's not an accident. Now, I'm going to do something which I don't generally like to do, but it just is necessary sometimes because I'm going to complain about how the English translators handle this word form. Okay? Now, today, in the 21st century modern English, the word form typically means something like shape. So when you read this, you might think, though he was in the shape of God, he didn't count equality with things, something big. And then he took on the shape of a servant, and then he was found in human shape. That's not what this passage is saying. Jesus wasn't just in the shape of God, and he didn't just pick on a shape of a servant, and he didn't just take on human shape. If you actually taught that in Christianity, you'd be, that'd be heretical, Jesus wasn't just in human shape. He was utterly, fully human to the absolute essence of what it means to be human. He was utterly God apart from every attribute of God apart from which he can't be God. So the theological word for that is essence. Essence means you have this apart from which you're not this. Like, let's just take an example. Um, You know, uh, there's a, a very common compound that you and I deal with every day. It's called H2O. You guys know what that is? What is that? Come on, you're smart. Yes, water. Let's say you take out the hydrogen from the water. Do you have water? (laughs) No, right? So then hydrogen, or actually two parts hydrogen, is at the essence of water. You know what form means? Form means something like that. It means essence. So, let me, um, let me give you the Susang translation, which I think is really more like the right translation. Now, that's, that might be a little bit arrogant to say. Because the word is, in Greek, morphe, and morphe means form, but I'm translating the word form into the ancient way, which is what we need. So, it looks more like this. Who, though Jesus was in the essence of, was in the essence of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the essence of a servant, being born in, in the likeness of men. There, see, he's like men, but that's actually an echo to Genesis. <laughs> and being found in human essence. Now, I want you to see something here. Jesus is fully God. He became fully human. This is at the core of of Christian doctrine. It's called Christology. It is who is the person of Jesus Christ. So right here, apart from Jesus is truly God, he's in the essence of um, of what it means to be human. What I want you to see is what I call, this 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 is like a sandwich. Do you see it? There's God, the essence of God, the form of God, in human form, and what's the middle of the form? In the middle, he's of the essence of a servant. What is this passage saying? God made human beings 
to be like God. <laughs> Did you know that? That's what it says in Genesis. He made us in the image of God, in the likeness of God. That's what it says in Genesis chapter one. And then God came into being the likeness of men. The one who is God came into the likeness of men. But the men were supposed to be in the likeness of God. That's really interesting. This whole thing is a commentary on Genesis. And at the center, what is missing is this in the human condition. We all try to be human in the way we want to be like God, which is to grasp after power and equality with God. And God, since God is God, you know, everybody serves him, right? And he has power, and, he, and nobody can tell him what to do. And then he's always being served. But that is how we are more like hell, not like God. So God himself, the Son of God, Jesus, came to break the values and powers of hell inside of us so that we could be more like God. We could be truly human, like God, and what does it look like is to be in the essence of a servant. This is the gospel. <laughs> but it's also a standard. Therefore, what's the therefore from? Jesus was this. Then we get to therefore. Let's go back. I'm not good with this. Okay, guys. All right. Jesus was the essence of God. He became, and then so that he can give us the essence of a servant, even going to the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In our city, we have a standard of greatness. Um, the guy who came up with the company where the apple has the bite, do you notice when he died, everybody exalted him? Every, every uh, book, I, I read the whole book, by the way, Walter Isaacson's book, you know, the official biography of Steve Jobs. And um, you can kind of read between the lines of what a jerk he was. But mostly, the book was what, we, what people would call a hagiography. Do you guys know what a hagiography is? It's a study of someone who is, like, great. <laughs> and since he's gone now, today, you know, we, some of you, 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 you might celebrate a standard of greatness in our city. It might be, you know, Elon Musk. He's kind of like the next version. But heaven has a standard of greatness. Because heaven's values are that God serves he serves. He came to serve us. And if you want to live inside of a greatness of your life, there's something inside of us, this has to be washed out. <laughs> and the chains, the chains that constantly, you know, like, one of the reasons why people don't want to be Christian, don't want to accept Jesus Christ as their Savior, is because they're so 
enslaved to always wanting it my way. There's so many people, I mean, it's kind of like this. Let's go, let's say you grew up inside a church. Maybe a lot of you did. And then when you were about 14, you know, you went to a, a retreat in the mountain and they said these things were sin and you knew you were looking at porn all last week. And then the word was said that Jesus would wash you and forgive you. And you went up to the front and you gave your life to Jesus. <laughs> but then you went to college or you're 25 years old and now that doesn't bother you as much. <laughs> but today you're dealing with something else. But your whole life is filled with this. It's just like do everything from your selfish ambitions and your self-esteem. But we don't consider that too much of a problem. Or if you grew up and you didn't grow up in the church, that's all normal to you. And then someone tells you, you need somebody to pay for your sins and release you from enslavement to yourself. And you're like, whatever. <laughs> I just want to do what I want to do. That's how people reject Jesus because we're so enslaved to wanting what I want because we want to be God of our lives. That's really what it's like. But do you really want more of heaven in your life? I'm gonna say something to you that may be hard to hear. A lot of people don't want Jesus because they actually don't want heaven. They just want this world and they want to try to take this world and turn it into their own little heaven and guess who's inside of your own vision of heaven? You are the God of your own vision of heaven. You've decided that I have to have a, a wife that has a certain shape. She has to have a certain education. I have to make a certain kind of money. And she's always going to serve me in such a way. And when I have all these things, and I have a certain size of a house, and I have a certain perfect dog, <laughs> you know, and I drive a certain kind of car, and then, then you will be in what you think is your heaven. But that is the heaven you like, so you don't actually want the real heaven. And so when the real heaven is offered, and the God of that heaven, who actually became human to take us to real heaven, we don't want him. That's what it's like. <laughs> but he came to try to break that lie up, okay? So let's close making you heavenly like Jesus, the real heaven. The first citizen of heaven came to make us human so that he can make us fit for heaven. But even before we get to heaven, you know what he's trying to do? He's trying to break heaven into the earthly hell. A lot of us, we want some piece of Jesus, forgiveness. Jesus, aren't you God? Can't you make my career jump forward? That's the kind of thing I want from Jesus. But actually, Jesus goes, if your career jumps forward, but you're still always inside the valleys of hell, what good is that? Let me give you something of real heaven. That's what he wants to do. Let me take you back to the passage that we started. Jesus called them to 
him and said to them, you know that those who are considered the rulers of the nations of Silicon Valley lorded over them and their great ones like Elon Musk or, or Steve Jobs, they exercise authority and just fire people when they don't get their way, when they aren't served exactly the way, the way they want. And we love that about them. We actually celebrate that about them because that's how they achieved greatness, right? By being oppressive. But it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Let me say it a little differently. Whoever would be heavenly among you must serve. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. We hear this word, and because we live in the kingdom of the valley of hell, what we need is actually the real heaven, the kingdom of heaven, to come and turn our world upside down. That's what the title of this message is, the upside down kingdom. It has to, our hearts, our minds have to be utterly flipped upside down. And here we are, whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. All of us sit there and go, no thanks, <laughs> I can't do that. But you know who did do this? For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. Let me close our message right now this way. I have a couple more slides, but I think we can close here this way. Jesus came to serve you. Jesus, this is the first greatest facts, the most weighty thing in your life. If you will have the kingdom of heaven in you, you must always remember that Jesus came to serve you. Give his life as a ransom. You know what a ransom is? A ransom is a payment to release you from slavery. Back then, so there'd be an auction. They would go, oh, this really good-looking, big, strong guy from Ethiopia. How much do you want to bid to so he could be your slave? That payment was a ransom. That's what they called it. So we are under the enslavement to the valleys of hell. You're under the enslavement to the devil, actually, where we always want to be served and not to serve. That's how you know you always want to be in hell. <laughs> but we don't know that we're in hell. And I'm just pointing out to you all the downsides. You know what hell feels like? It's lonely. You know what hell feels like? It's like, I resent you because you're not serving me. You know what hell feels like? You're self-righteous because you're puffed up inside yourself because you don't want to serve. You only want to be served. <laughs> but Jesus came to serve you. <laughs> He came to serve me. He came to serve us by saying, that thing that's inside of you, let me serve you so you could see what heaven is really like. I'll pay the ransom. That's how he served us. And you know, he didn't just do it once and for all. On the cross, he pays a ransom 
so that you could be released from captivity to the kingdom of hell, and your heart can be released from self-centeredness and self-righteousness, but then, as the Bible says, it's like a dog returns to his own vomit, then we go back to hell and our self-righteousness, right? Right. So Jesus died the death we deserve and paid with his blood to release us from captivity. And every time we go like a dog that returns to his vomit, back to our own enslavement, to always wanting to be God of my own life and demand that other people serve me, what he does is the gospel is proclaimed and the Holy Spirit will wash you anew. That's what we're going to do today. Maybe there's a place inside your life where there's things, something broken. <laughs> it probably has something to do with this. Maybe there's a friendship broken in your life. And you must learn to be more heavenly. And now we're going to serve your friend. Maybe you're a bad father or a bad mother, and you just want your child to do whatever you want by your power. I'm your mom. <laughs> and if you don't do this, I will take away your iPhone, and you will be miserable. Because <laughs> I have power, I can just make you do what I want. See, that's like how we operate according to power. As instead of, let me serve you. Sometimes you have to fight your kids to serve them. And maybe you do have to take away your iPhone. That's probably a good idea. Don't give them an iPhone. That's a really bad idea, right? But you have to fight them. But the idea is to serve them, not just to win. And if there's a place like this, can you see that Jesus came to serve? And some of you, you come to church, and you don't like this, this, or that about church. If there's a place inside of church that you think is broken, the people are not very kind or encouraging or welcoming or something. That's something you see. Maybe that's a place where you can serve. And I'll just close this way. You will go, okay, I'm going to try to repent and serve. You will repent and serve, and then you know what you'll do? Then you will get resentful when people don't appreciate you, okay? But here's what I want to call you to do is to remember that you live, you are a citizen of heaven. Right now, you're living more inside of your own hellishness and the hellishness of others. But sit before Jesus and before any other people who are true citizens of heaven and when they serve you, or you have been served, remember them. And of course, remember the one who has served you first and foremost, Jesus. He has served you with the cross. He has served you with resurrection. He has served you with an absolute place of citizenship, though we do not deserve it, in the place where everybody will serve willingly, gladly. This is the way Jesus put it. I have promised that you will go to the place where everybody will serve you, but you will gladly serve them because I first served you. And will love will be forevermore. 
and there'll be no more hell. This is the gospel. And we must be renewed by this again and again, and we will allow the Holy Spirit to wash that bad, selfish spirit away, and we'll go back to serving. Yes? Let's pray.